Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Jordan here, and welcome to today's episode of the Startup to Scale podcast. I am excited to have two guests on, Tom and Michael, who are two of the co-founders of Brandjectory, a platform to help uh, food and beverage CPG companies connect with investors. And today we're going to be talking about the current investment landscape as it relates to what founders are looking for and what investors are looking for. So Tom and Michael, I'd love for you just to give a, a quick introduction. Sure. Thanks, Jordan. Hi, I'm Michael Movitz. I've been in the natural product CPG industry for 32 years. Uh, for the last, last six years, I've been working with early stage founders in a consultancy on go-to-market strategy and preparing to raise capital. And uh, a few years ago, uh, met up with uh, Tom and our other uh, partner um, to found Brandjectory as a way to help uh, solve the gap and the access issue that early stage CPG companies say under a million dollars in revenue. Um, have in terms of access to investors and access to information and resources through that capital raise process. So um, uh, perhaps as we talk, I'll, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the platform itself, but I'll, I'll turn it over to Tom for an introduction at this point. Hi, I'm Tom Melinda, and um, I uh, have a long career in, in commercial banking. Uh, last um, uh, eight or nine years now, uh, with my wife, Susan Bryanton, founded the Litchfield Fund. We um, invested and advised and consulted in a lot of young emerging brands before um, stepping forward with Michael uh, to work on Brand Jeffrey, um, because we think that whole aspect of trying to get more brands opportunities in front of investors with the knowledge and understanding of how to work with investors is going to benefit the whole ecosystem of, of young brands really being able to grow and, and reach their full potential. So we've been excited to be part of the founding uh, team of Brand Jeffrey. I'm really excited to talk about this topic because fundraising and just funding in general is one of the number one obstacles that every founder faces when they're getting started. And something I experienced myself with T-Squares and going through multiple fundraising rounds, some that succeeded, we brought in great partners, others that failed with no money coming in. And I learned a ton about the process of what works, what doesn't, how to stand out. Um, but that was a couple of years ago. I love to kind of get into um, hear your perspective on how the fundraising landscape looks currently going into 2022. Well, I guess maybe I'll start that off, Michael, if that's okay by you. Yes, sounds good. Um, And and talk a little bit about the macro landscape, because I I think it's going to be tougher in 2022, um, as it has been tough in 2021 and 2020. Um, But I think there's a lot more things at play right now. And investors are definitely, whether you want to say they're being tight or they're being cautious, or they're being um, just a little bit wary, they're definitely taking a larger perspective on the risk in the market. And what that means is that, you know, they're, they're, they know the general economic environment and they act like anybody else does, right? You know, we, if whether you're a consumer, a small business person, or a large company, it's a time to think about where you're investing your money, where you're putting your money, what you're purchasing, what you're doing with it. And, and they act the same way. And certainly there are all those issues of inflation and supply chain, which make their risk models more, you know, more difficult to manage. And, 
it can be a number of things. It can be like just in this past week with the issues we've had about avocado imports. Are they coming in from Mexico? Or are they not coming in from Mexico? Um, it's hard for investors to really put the teeth into their risk models when they start taking all these things into effect. And you know, the whole interest rate scenario, um, founders have to remember, sometimes an investor is taking investments from other people to make their investments. And when the interest rates start changing, that chart starts changing those risk models. And whether we have the five the Fed says, the seven Goldman says, something's gonna happen with interest rates. So all this means that they look, the investors look at that whole environment, they see the first quarter, second quarter numbers coming from some of the recent SPACs and, um, and, and, and mergers. Um, they get conflicting messages from, you know, Hain or General Mills who are gonna continue to acquire Unilever who isn't. And this means they're just tightening all those risk parameters. And those risk parameters are getting tightened even more. Um, and, and it's getting tightened because they see things like the consumer is spending more of their basket on fresh, okay, and less on processed. It means a difference in the way, you know, brands are going to move off the shelf. Um, they start looking at grocery sales, which are predicted to be lower for the third year in a row. All these things tighten that environment for the path to profit, profitability. And every investor I've spoken with over the last six months, nine months, they are really starting to play a lot more on the path to profitability. We, you know, two years ago, three years ago, we all told brands, don't worry about your, your earnings, you know, your EBITDA. Don't worry about it. You know, it's your CPG. People expect you to spend money. Investors are changing that model. They're starting to say, I want to see that path to profitability. I want to know in this maybe slowing environment, an environment where there's going to be less processed food sold, um, they want to know that you're going to still move product. And, you know, for the consumer, they know it's a zero-sum game. The consumer is always going to spend money on staples first. So brands that are introducing, you know, specialty, higher priced, important items, but maybe items that the consumer can choose to do without are going to be tougher to, um, to get investors interested in. And I like this conversation, Tom, because a lot of founders I found are very myopic in their view of what they're understanding is in the investment landscape. As you mentioned, there's a global sense of kind of what uh, what investors are looking at in terms of either where to put their money or what's going to affect it. Whereas most founders that I meet are looking at, hey, I have a, a protein bar, invest in me, right? That's the next important point, Jordan, that you're making there is that investors now want to know that this is a company, not a product. Okay. So even down to the investor, into the angel investors or into the grant money, they're starting to ask how this is going to be a company. And I think, you know, again, when we think of the landscape two, three, four years ago, it was a good product. Investors were there. They were starting to, you know, they, they would wait to see a company evolve. They don't do that anymore. And just for what you said there is that, you know, it's, it's not that there, there, there's no longer that myopic view. Um, and I think they want something new and different. They want products that are going to create, um, create a market. Um, there's probably too many follow-on products right now. Um, and, you know, investors, to minimize the risk, they're going to go where the money is. They're, they're, you know, they, they have a fear of missing out. But if everybody's investing in plant-based, then they're going to follow the trends. Um, and, and they're going to follow the money that may reduce the risk. More money means, you know, more money invested means possibly less risk. So they'll follow that money. So here's one thing that I find is a huge problem. Most brands 
need money the most when they're in their first year two of launch and gosh, you know, they're maybe doing 200, $300,000 in sales. Talk about kind of how you found investors are either investing in companies when they're that early or not investing. You know, I, I think again, that's where it comes down to is this product. I, I, I still think there's an interest in, in pre-revenue seed money where that product is creating something that is different, not available, hitting a niche, not in the way of small amount of niche, but a, but a, but a path that doesn't exist today. So when, when there are those brands that are not follow on, where they are um, in that position that there's the potential to move beyond what exists in the market today, it's not just the best tasting lemonade, you know, and, and I'll fight anybody out there who's got a lemonade that I'm the better tasting one. I'm doing something that is going to bring people to this market because they expect this kind of taste. They expect this kind of performance from my product. And I'm doing it in a space or a, a, a niche of consumers looking to, um, to acquire a, a product that does multiple things for me. Um, and that's where I think investors get excited. Um, they're no longer just getting excited because it's a functional chocolate bar. Yeah, I found the that's, same that's thing. Not really. enough anymore. Yeah, the product alone isn't standing out unless it has some you know, tech ITP behind it. You look at the alternative protein space. But I also have found, and I would love to know your thoughts, is it fair to say that early stage founders really need to have an unfair advantage to get investors' attention, right? Like either they need a previous successful company or failed company that they learned a ton from, or they need to bring a significant amount of capital already raised in order to prove that they have some stance or relationships with some of the top retailers. Like if I feel like they need something to set them apart beyond the product just to get investors' attention at the early stage. Um, boy, I, I don't have a really good thought on that. Um, I think there are... I, I think investors go a little bit beyond that. Um, certainly the idea of whether or not that founder can build a company um, is the big one. So if, a, so if a founder has had that experience of building a company, of being successful, of getting an exit, or at least getting to that series A round, um, they're gonna get a lot more attention. Certainly one of the things that you mentioned in terms of if they have that edge from a food tech perspective, and by food tech, I don't mean necessarily a way of creating a product, but a way of extruding a product or creating a formula or doing something that's different. I myself always get excited when someone says, you know, um, yeah, there's a special way of doing this that nobody else has figured out. Okay. And that's important. Um, I think investors are also excited when they hear about, you know, secure, safe, one source, um, uh, less risk supply lines. Okay. So um, I think there's advantages to those companies that are saying we are producing with a co-op from an area, you know, you know, in South America or Africa, where we're getting this product. It's a pipeline to us. It's an exclusive. Those things mean a lot to investors these days. And I think maybe those are some of the, the advantages that a brand can have. Uh, well, I agree with what, what you said. I agree with what Jordan said. You know, there, that, that, so I, I don't think I would add anything there, but I do have some thoughts formulating on what about everybody else who doesn't have those things? Yeah, jump, let's jump into that. <laughs> what are some of your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, well, you know, so one of the reasons why we created Brandectory was because we wanted to make uh, funding available to all and not just, um, for example, there's a lot of, of incubators and accelerator and uh, pitch pitch programs that have application processes and just a select few and small percentage actually get accepted. Um, so we, we wanted to level a playing field and democratize that access. So number one, there is no um, application or vetting process for us with, with brands. But the fundamentals that we've been talking about still hold. You, you, it's still vitally important if you want investor interest to have that um, business uh, fundamentals in place, the infrastructure, some of the things with the differentiation and founder experience, et cetera, are all, all still key. So if, if you, you're not rising to you know, the level of all of the things you know, that we're, we're talking about, there's other sources of capital that uh, are really important to explore. And those, those would come in the sources of grants or debt. So you know, on the grant side, um, just a few examples, there's the FedEx Small Business Grant Contest, there's um, Small Business Innovation Research and Small Business in, uh, Technology Transfer Programs through the American Seed Fund. Uh, there's the National Association for the Self-Employed Growth Grants. I mean, there's, there's a, a grant is, you know, um, it is an application process, but it is, uh, you don't give up any equity for that. You know, on the, on the lending side, of course, we hear a lot about factoring and those things, but um, you know what, those can be expensive. And, and also for an early stage brand that doesn't yet have the assets, the inventory, the POs, whatever, that, that those are not options. So things uh, like SBA back loans, peer-to-peer -peer lending, like Lending Club or Prosper, P2B Investor, um, uh, micro lenders like uh, Kiva and Axion and USA Grameen America, community development finance institutions. And of course, you know, not, not to leave out uh, the last one, but uh, crowdfunding. You know, crowdfunding can be reward-based, it can be equity-based, uh, you know, whether it's WeFunder or Republic, uh, Kickstarter, et cetera. Um, but, but uh, you know, our experience, uh, crowdfunding is a whole different dynamic as it relates to, you know, how investors will perceive it. Um, and uh, I think at the end of the day, crowdfunding takes a ton of time. Uh, it is also very expensive um, and you don't get the smart money that an investor would provide, but that, you know, that could be okay. Um, but it's, it's not necessarily the panacea that I think everybody, you know, might look to it as from a capital standpoint. So there's, there's other loans and, and grant options that I think uh, should be considered. I like that you mentioned all those things because I think there's two points I want to hit on. First is that as a founder starting a business, you need to come into the company with a funding source or a way to get that funding that's more or less guaranteed for at least $50,000, $100,000 to get the business going for the bare minimum. You know, it, that's like the, the just to get inventory and the website up and things like that. Um, because if you don't, there's not, you know, there's a lot of talk about the amount of investor money out in the world, but it's not going to founders with no prior history and no proof of concept, right? Like you have to build your own proof of concept and minimal viable product kind of in the, the market, at least at the bare minimum. And then the second are, you know, really diversify those funding sources of who, how you're getting that money early on. Like you mentioned, there's a ton of different options. And I always advise founders to utilize your skill set 
to direct how you fund. If you are very individual, like personable, you're great at sales, you could probably build some really great relationships with angel investors who you meet out the blue, build a relationship with them longstanding, and then they might invest in like you as the founder because they like you and what you're doing. If you're great at marketing and building an online community, really driving up a lot of hype just on your own using TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, like whatever social following you have, then those other areas like equity crowdfunding or rewards crowdfunding um, will be a better choice for you potentially because you can kind of build that community. And either way, it's a ton of work and it might as well be the work that you enjoy doing. <laughs> That's a good point. It, both, both On both points, yep. Um, what's your thought in terms of the angel investor landscape right now and how brands can really best build relationships with angel investors to potentially get money. Networking. Um, the Angel Capital Association has uh, hundreds of angel groups across the country that are local to different communities and focus on different sectors in some cases. In other cases, they're just, you know, the, the syndicate for the group of, of investors. Um, uh, and, um, you know, the, the networking piece is, is really key. And it's actually one of the reasons also why, you know, Brandectory came around is that there's been actually a lot of referrals. When you talk to any investor, when you talk to any angel, um, ask for a referral. Who else should I be talking to? Can you give me the names of three other people that uh, might be interested? Um, and sometimes it may not be those people, but it's, you know, the people that they refer you to. So, um, you know, there's, uh, that's, that's definitely, uh, um, the, the key way is, is through those networks, <clears throat> excuse me, through those organizations, through Brandectory, through, um, uh, you know, those industry events, you know, uh, Tom, any, any suggestions? Yeah. And don't ignore your local chamber of commerce. I mean, there's, there's folks from all across different businesses who have do side investing. Don't ignore your local angel groups. Um, check with your alumni associations because there's every alumni association out there has a, has a startup group, has a has an angel group, um, you know, um, some network together. Um, so there's a lot of places to check locally too. So so don't ignore those local ones where you really can, you know, meet one on one, do that networking, you know, do that relationship building, you know, um, you know, over breakfast, over meetup, over happy hour, those kinds of things. And I'll just add one last thing is that the relationship building is key. And so the time to start uh, talking and meeting with investors is now before you actually need the money, because it does take time. Um, and uh, you don't want to wait until you have a shorter runway and it becomes a more urgent proposition. Have you seen any founders who have successfully built those like long-term relationships with an investor that maybe led to an investment and like what they did to maintain that relationship? <laughs> you know. The, the first thing is always, you know, you know, establishing that, you know, that, that, that good relationship, that mantra of, of um, the, the investor understanding where you're headed with your the business and that, you know, they kind of agree with you, you know, this is what your business is. This is where it's going. But then it's, is that constant staying in touch. It's that making sure that, you know, the important events are communicated. Um, it's the gaining the insight to mentoring with them, coach, you know, asking for their help presenting them with a problem, seeing what solution they give, being open to it. Um, all the things that go into building a good relationship, whether, you know, with, with anyone come about when you're, when you're really working with an investor who you're hoping to get that investment from down the line. Um, but they're not going to, you know, they're not going to communicate with you. They're not going to stay in touch if they don't like you, if they don't like the product, if they don't like your vision for what the company 
is going to be, you know, once you have those things established, they're going to be there and, and they're going to be interested in what you're doing. Um, and, and if you, if you communicate with them and ask them the right way, they're going to tell you, you know, you need to be here. You need to be at this point. You need to establish these things. Your company has to look like this. That's when we're going to be interested. Founders here. Okay. Well, I was just going to add that uh, emphasizing the uh, monthly or quarterly email updates uh, is one. And secondly, sending samples um, as new products are introduced is another. Um, third is, you know, keeping in touch uh, at events. If you're going to both be at a trade show, you know, just making some time to reconnect live. Um, but, you know, the, the, that, that communication is key. And, and one little nuance is uh, there's an old saying is that uh, when you ask an investor for advice, I'm sorry, when you ask an investor for money, you get advice. When you ask them for uh, advice, you get money. So um, <laughs> I love that. I was going to mention that as well. So I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> and I mean, I guess with that, I'll tell you the biggest frustration I hear from founders isn't hearing no, it's hearing uh, maybe or check back in with me in six months or a year. Any advice for founders to close the deal and get past the maybes, either to a no or a yes? You, you, you have to ask them point blank why. And you have to be ready to accept the hard truth. And hopefully they're going to give you the frank and honest and truthful answer about why they're waiting. And uh, it's an immense amount of help to get those data points as to what is holding them up. And it allows you to, as a founder, to then focus on um, what are the shortcomings or what are the gaps to, um, you know, to get to that point where you're a more interesting company or more investable company. And, and to be able to go back to that investor and say, Hey, I took your advice. I took yes. your advice and my yes. company now looks like this. Okay. So what's the next step? And, and if there's another holdup, what's that? So I think those are all good points. Yeah. And I think the biggest, you know, one thing that I always talk to founders about too, is that it is a relationship for a founder. When you're desperate for money, you just need money. And a lot of founders don't really care about where it's coming from, but those relationships really mean a big difference because once you have an investor, they almost never go away. Right. Like you, you rarely have investors trade in and out unless you're in the, you know, you're at a, a liquidity event. And then for the investors, once they put their money in, most are thinking they're not likely going to get that money back. You know, they're hopeful, but they almost have to prepare themselves that they're not going to get that money back. And so they have to trust you and feel at least a base level of trust that you're going to do your best to to make a return right they they know they're not going to all be successful but they need to trust that you're going to do the things that you say you're going to do 100 i love that um any final tips or advice on brands who are fundraising now um and ways to to stand out or any any new ways especially maybe in this like virtual hybrid world you know i i have a couple of ideas um one is to start those conversations early as we said um, second is that it does take time and effort and you've got to be committed to doing the work. Um, you know, a lot of times we don't know what we don't know. And we just, you know, we, I've seen a lot of founders who just say, give me a list of investors and I'll cold call. And I'll just, you know, they, they, um, uh, substitute the idea of activity for productivity. And, uh, th that's not the case. And so being able to, uh, you know, uh, target the right people at the right time with the right message is is crucial. Uh, so getting some help and finding the right investors uh, and getting the right introductions is, is important. 
And then, you know, as far as differentiation goes, um, you know, having an honest look at your business and, and also talking to people, getting, getting feedback either from investors or from advisors, from industry experts, you know, what, what do you think of my product, my company, my brand, um, you know, my messaging and, um, and take that to heart. It's really, really hard to hear that somebody doesn't like your baby. But, um, you know, if it's also something that you've invested your time and money and blood, sweat and tears into, and, you know, ultimately, if you want it to succeed, um, trying to remain objective and listen to others' perspectives is crucial. Tom, what, what would you like to add? Just one thing. It, it's have, a pre- I mean, all those, all the things Michael mentioned, but it's also have a presence. Be where you need to be, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Brandjectory whether it's in the grocery store and, and, you know, but be where you need to be, be at the trade shows, be at the places you need to be and, and create that, that presence of, of investors and, and public knowing who you are, what you're driving toward, what your business stands for. Um, you know, investors are going to look at, you know, at what you're doing and they want to see you out there and they want to know who you are. And the more that you can create that presence in the market, the better off you're going to be. Love those tips. And I think those are crucial for brands. Tom, Michael, thanks so much for being on today. Thanks for having us, Jordan. Thank you, Jordan.